Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Go check out Morbidly Beautiful right now for all your horror content needs from interviews, reviews, top 10 lists, and of course, everything in between. Don't forget the other podcasts on the network as well. There's a ton of great ones. More to come, maybe. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what the future holds? I don't, even though I kind of am responsible for the podcast network. Anywho, continuing on, last week we took a look at the Dardeen murders in part one of a very strange case where an entire family was eviscerated, with the husband being the prime suspect. But that was quickly kiboshed when his body was found a few miles away from the original crime scene. So today we're going to finish our look at the Dardeen family murders. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. So just to give a quick little recap, the Dardine family lived in southern Illinois when they were brutally murdered in their mobile home just outside of Ina in said Illinois. The family was fairly young with the father, known as Keith, at about 29 years old, and his wife, Elaine, at 30. The couple had been expecting a child who sadly died the same day that the rest of the family did. Originally, Keith was thought to have been the culprit, just because he was never found after the scene was discovered. However, that was quickly kiboshed, as I said earlier, when his body was found about 11 miles away from the crime scene in question with his penis severed. Now, of course, this led to a lot of theories. Was it a lover, a scorned relationship, a jealous ex? Who knows what could have happened to those bodies? There was one or two suspects, but nothing really ever came of the investigation. Now, that was until 1999, and that was a good decade after the original murders, since it took place in November of 1987. Things became a little more interesting in 1999, the last day of 1999, as a matter of fact. So Y2K, everybody, I'd be scared. Anybody under the age of 30 probably won't get that. Anyway, another serial killer in Texas would bring himself to the attention of the investigation in Illinois. That is after the original thought that Angel Maturino Resendiz was a suspect. He's a serial killer who was active as well in the southern United States around the same time as this murder took place. So who's the other one? Well, that's Tommy Lynn Sells, and he was convicted of cutting the throat of two girls near Del Rio, Texas. However, one survived, and the police identified him due to her eyewitness report. He was eventually convicted and sentenced to death for the murder, and another one earlier in 1999, and that is when he killed a girl in San Antonio, also in Texas. While he was awaiting trial for the first murder charge, he began confessing to other murders he had committed while drifting around the country sometimes by hopping freights as well. One of his confessions was of the Dardine family. Sells said that he did not really remember any of the details to all of the crimes that he committed, and he described that as a coping strategy from the sexual abuse he endured as a child in the Missouri boot heel. I assume that's boot heel. It could be boot heel. I don't know. I'm not from Missouri. I'm not from the United States. It's spelled boot heel, but it's all one word, so it looks like boot heel. Anyway, Despite his foggy memory at best, he did remember 
one. In the mid-1980s, Sells was living primarily near St. Louis, roughly 90 miles northwest of Jefferson County, where the murders of the Dardine family took place. He was making money and working at a traveling carnival and fairs and as a day laborer or through theft. For the latter part, he often hitched rides with truckers or hopped freights. He never really had a destination in mind, and he said, quote, anywhere a ride was going, I was going to head that way. Might be in Illinois today and Oklahoma tomorrow. It was indeed through those modes of transportation that he became familiar with the Ina area. On one trip through Jefferson County in November of 1987, he claimed in 2001 to have met Keith at a truck stop near Mount Vernon. Or, as things go, in a different retelling, he was at a local pool hall. In both versions, he said Keith invited Sells to his home for dinner, and after the meal, Sells was simply planning to move on, but then Keith allegedly triggered his anger by sexually propositioning him, in one account, to a threesome with his wife, Elaine. After that, he forced Keith to the ground at gunpoint, where his body was found, killed and mutilated him, and then returned to the trailer to kill Eileen and Peter, who were witnesses, although he says at the time, the result of uncontrollable rage that Keith's alleged sexual offered sent him in, saying, quote, I was just so pissed off that I took it to the maximum limit. Rage don't have a stop button. He implied that it explained why he had killed the infant Elaine had delivered during the crime as well. In a third version, because of course this guy can't keep his fucking story straight, Sells dispensed with the encounter with Keith and the sexual proposition entirely. According to that account, he got off of freight, he had hopped near Ida. When he saw that the Dardine trailer with its for sale sign, he saw an opportunity for a killing. After drinking some beers and waiting for the right time, he knocked on the door and told a wary Keith that he was interested in buying the trailer. He then eventually overpowered Keith, made him bind and gag his wife and son with duct tape, and then forced him to drive his car to the nearby field at gunpoint where he sliced Keith's penis off, telling him that he was going to take it back to Elaine, and then shot him and left him there. At the trailer, he raped Eileen, and then beat Peter, Eileen, and the newborn to death. After cleaning up, he drove Keith's car to Benton. Now, with all these fantastical stories this guy's telling, not a lot of people really believed him after a little while. Now, to some investigators, Sells' 2014 execution by Texas was justice for the Dardines as well. He was never charged with their murders, but he, quote, remains the number one suspect, according to Jefferson County State's attorney, Douglas Hoffman. Sheriff Roger Mulch agreed. The county deputy sheriff who interviewed Sells in his Texas cell says he knew details of the crime that had been kept confidential. But even they agree that Sells may have added a detail or two to his story as he was known to do, something that has left considerable doubt about many of the killings he confessed to. Other investigators, however, are a little less sure. While Sells' account is consistent with the general facts of the case, they say most of what they told him had previously been reported publicly. When Sells was asked about details that weren't made publicly available through the media, he seemed a little less reliable. His claim as to which seat of Keith Plymouth he was shot in is belied by the evidence. And when asked how Elaine's body was positioned, at first he answered incorrectly, and then correctly, which could have just been a lucky guess. Sells said in a 2010 interview, I know people got their doubts. They say there's no physical evidence tying me to the Dardines, but there wasn't any for them because they weren't looking for me. I moved. I was always a transient. Police in Texas confirmed Sells was responsible for 22 murders, but came to believe that in conscious imitation of another serial killer, Henry Lee Lucas, 
He was trying to avoid the death penalty by confessing to his crimes he had not committed to and taking advantage of the judicial system's gratitude. Their counterparts in Illinois thus wanted to take cells to Ina so they could see how well he knew the area and the locations relevant to the crime. He claimed he could lead them to missing evidence. However, Texas law does not allow prisoners on death row to be taken out of state, and authorities there were unwilling to find a way to make an exception. So Duncan declined to file murder charges for the lack of sufficient evidence. Doubts about Sell's confession are not limited to local law enforcement. Friends and family have issue with some of the claims as well. For one, they doubt that Keith would have invited someone home out of nowhere from out of town that he had just met to have dinner with his family, especially given their heightened fear in the area after a bunch of killings and crime increase. In fact, they were looking to move, remember? They were afraid of the crime, so they wanted to move back to Keith's hometown. If you listened to the first episode, you remember that. Regardless, it seems very unlikely. A friend even said, quote, if he wouldn't let a young girl in to use the phone, he wouldn't let a 22-year-old transient man in at that time. Makes a lot of sense. They also find Sells' claim that Keith made a homosexual advance to him very unlikely. They never perceived him to even possibly have an interest in his own sex, and police did not find any evidence of that during their initial investigation either. The detectives who interviewed Sells believe that if he did kill the Dardines, he invented that entire thing just to make the crime seem more justified, at least in his mind. In confessing to other crimes, he often included similar stories to make it seem like the victims had provoked him. In 2000, Joanne, Dardine's position on Sell's guilt had evolved. In 2000, as I said, when the first confession was reported, she told the Chicago Tribune that she was as certain as the police that he was the suspect. She believed only talking to him could clear up any lingering doubts, saying, quote, I've always wanted to know every detail, she said. Some people may think that's gory, but when someone does something to my family, I want to know why. Seven years on, in the 20th anniversary of the killing, a year after Sell's initial execution date had been stayed so a federal appeals court could consider a question about his mental state, she said she was 99% sure and expressed again her interest in possibly talking to Sell, saying, There's just a little bit of doubt there. Not that he didn't do it. I'm wondering if maybe somebody helped. Fast forward to 2010. In an interview, Sells was skeptical of what such a conversation might accomplish. Joanne wants to talk to me, he said. If she wants to come here and talk, or scream at me, yell, kick me, hit me, she should have that right, he said. But he also went on to say that no apology he could make could possibly give her any closure, saying sorry ain't gonna cut it. So what is there to say? I could tell her sorry every day for the rest of my life. It's not going to stop her pain, and one thing I do know about pain is it don't go away. The two never did talk, and by the time Sells was executed in 2014, Joanne had come to the belief that he was not the man who killed her son her daughter-in-law, and her grandchildren, saying, quote, I wanted him to stay alive until I know positively that he didn't do it, she told the Associated Press shortly afterwards. The things he said to do did not match up with what I know about Keith, she told the Post-Dispatch reporter, who had originally covered the case in 1987. A lot of people think it's done and over with, but to me, it's not. And there's a good chance it never will be. And that does conclude the Dardeen family murder. I know this one was a little bit shorter and I do apologize for that, but I do want to talk to you about some stuff in the personal realm. First and foremost, happy Valentine's Day to you lovebirds out there. I know it's just a made-up day, but it's a good reason to spoil your partner if you don't do it every other day of the week. Maybe, you know, you're busy or work gets in the way or maybe you've had some troubles in your relationships and today's a good day just to have a reason to 
people like that. People need that sort of compartmentalization, I guess you want to call it. Same as New Year's. Everyone's a fresh start on New Year's Day. January 1st, you're going to be a new person, a better person. You're going to work out. You're going to eat healthy. You're going to try hard. You're going to achieve all your goals just because it's a new day of the month and year. I don't know. So why not apply that logic to Valentine's Day and spoil the one you love? Secondly, I do want to plug my Patreon a little bit more. So if you made it this far, thank you. And that must mean you like the sound of my voice talking about weird shit for however long these podcast episodes go. I did release a new History of Demons on Patreon. So if you do want to find that Patreon, it is patreon.com slash horrorshots. And you should be able to find that link as well in the description of this episode. Any support you do want to give is super grateful. You'll get a shout out on the show and it all goes back into the show. I will use any money that comes in through tips, donations, Patreon to improve this setup, to improve sound quality, to improve just the content in general. I want to give you the best possible product, but sometimes that is difficult when you are limited in funds, which is currently my case. Not to go on a sad story or anything, but I very much damaged my shoulder and I've been off work for two weeks with no pay, no disability, no sick leave. But that's not to say I expect you to pay my way for anything. I just want to let you know what's going on in my life because I don't think we get to chat as much as I as much as I would like. And I do apologize for that. But again, that's going to do for me this week. My name is Casey, and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to leave a five-star rating on Spotify. You can do that on the mobile app. If you don't listen on Spotify, I highly encourage you just to download it, listen to 30 seconds of an episode, and hit that five-star button. If you do, let me know on any of the social medias, and I will give you a shout-out as well on the show. Apple iTunes is still a thing. You can still leave a review on that as well if you would like. You can leave actual reviews, not just a rating. So if you want to say something to me, feel free. That'll get read out on the show, provided it is a five-star review. If you do want to hit me up on social medias, feel free to do so on Instagram at Ominous Origins Pod or on Facebook at Horror Shots. I've kind of given up on Twitter. Don't even bother on there. I don't even care about it anymore. It's a shit show on Twitter. So that's that. Until next time.